Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Deemer. Today on the show, we're doing our week in review. And that's about it. Today is Saturday, September 4th, 2021. Before we get into that, let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And Bitcoin is sitting at $49,980, down 1.8%. We were well over 50000 It's going to get back up there. Don't worry about it. Ethereum's in the number two spot at $3,900, down 1.8%. Cardano, $2.91, down 2.8%. Binance Coin, up 1.2% at, well, we're just going to call it $500. It is actually $550. It's just changed right now as we're speaking. And Tether's in the number five spot. Running off the top 10, we have XRP Solana at $141. Dogecoin at $0.30. Cents, Polkadot, USDC, Uniswap, and Litecoin. Wait a minute. I totally missed everything that is up to number 12 well litecoin had a big raise uh in seven days 26 percent. it's at 217 dollars total market cap we're at 2.27 trillion dollars a btc dominance of 41.3 percent and an f dominance of 20.1 and now let's get into that conversation with editor-in-chief dan roberts where we're talking about our week in review we're talking about editorial letters sent to decrypt cardano nfts hodling robin hood and so much more long conversation i enjoyed it i hope you do too editor-in-chief dan the man how you doing welcome to the show doing great happy to be back on the best podcast in crypto that's what i'm talking about thank you sir it's not because you're you're, you know boss of the brand and this is under your under your watch but okay sure i appreciate that self-promotion self-promotion look dan we have a lot of things going on in the crypto space today um this week to be honest and um but first i want to start with a little bit of editorial and we usually don't do this on the show we usually just go straight crypto obviously people who listen to the show they hear my opinions quite a bit but uh we got an email from somebody because uh, we published a, well, Decrypt published an article that they thought was FUD in fudding the market. And I want to discuss that with you. But before we discuss that, I want to read this to you. And it's from Benjamin. And Benjamin said this, hello, dear editor of Decrypt. When I read this, I wonder if your motives in publishing such one-sided pieces, printing the opinions of one guy on one side of the fence doesn't create a balanced perspective. It just creates FUD in some readers. Why don't you flesh it out into something actually profound that weighs both perspectives? And this is in regards to the billionaire investor, John Parlson, says cryptocurrencies will eventually prove to be worthless. And I want your opinion about that. Is this a FUD, one-sided, uh, you know, just a, a, a unbalanced perspective? Yeah, so I'm glad you read that aloud. I actually responded to this email. We certainly don't respond to every email that comes into the editor account, but I responded because eventually it it, it gets to me and I had to speak up. I mean. People in crypto think that every single story that is about anything negative, they think any headline other than Bitcoin's going to go to the moon is FUD. And, you know, at Decrypt, we cover news in the crypto space objectively, and we cover all the news. I like to say we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly. So 
I responded to this reader and I said, you know, if someone prominent, an influential person or celebrity or investor says something bearish about Bitcoin, we cover it. And if someone prominent says something bullish, we cover it. So, you know, John Paulson, who was made famous um, from the big short, saying that he thinks crypto will be worthless is newsworthy, just like when Paul Tudor Jones, uh, another major influential investor, said that he has changed his mind about crypto and he is now invested in Bitcoin. When he said that, we also published that, and that was very bullish. And you know, the other example I gave is we write a story when Coinbase reports its earnings and the earnings are great and Coinbase had a terrific quarter. And we write a story when a group of Coinbase customers is suing Coinbase because the customer service sucks. I mean, we cover the good and the bad. And just for fun, I wanted to read another email we got the very next day that I think is very similar. It was about a different article. This writer, Ross, wrote, thanks for publishing. That's the email subject line. And I thought, oh, you're welcome. And then I opened the email and it says, an article today about how Bitcoin and the SEC are cracking down on Robinhood that makes it look like you need to sell your crypto if you use Robinhood. And it's now sinking the market, you jackoffs. When you publish FUD like that, it does bad things to the market. Have a shitty day, ass clowns. Wow. And I wrote back the same thing about, you know, look, it's not our job to pump Bitcoin. And there are certainly crypto sites that do that and think that's their job. Our job isn't to make Bitcoin go up. Our job is to cover the interesting and important news in the space. And by the way, the idea that, you know, the regulators might crack down on payment for order flow, PFOF, which is how Robinhood makes its money, is major legitimate news. And, and, you know, this person said, now it's sinking the market. Well, that's not our responsibility. I, I, you know, I can't worry about what a story that is factual that we run does to the price of crypto. I I want to just uh, talk about Robinhood for for a second before I ask the the next question to you is, you know, uh, that is you're right. That is that is major news. And it's not going to take the crypto space. You know, Robinhood's 41 percent of the revenue comes from crypto and 60 percent comes from Dogecoin. And, you know, them turning off the faucet to uh, their stock portfolios, that is part of the revenue. The other 60 or 59 percent of their revenue coming from stock trading. uh, That is huge, considering that they're leveraged on mostly a meme coin when it comes to their crypto revenue. So. So, yeah, that's huge news. And it's not funny in the market. What it is, is looking at the business practices of Robinhood going, hey, is this sustainable? Is this the future? Right. And what is it going, going to do to Robinhood's stock price, which took a tank after that news came out? And and by the way, I mean, we've also written stories about, you know, Dogecoin price go up after Mark Cuban tweets, Dogecoin price go up after Musk tweets. You know, Dogecoin is a huge percentage of Robinhood revenue. Uh, again, the good and the bad. And, you know, we don't worry about, well, does this seem bearish or bullish? It's news and it's what's happening. And you're right. I mean, Robinhood is now in many ways a key company in crypto, which four years ago, that would have sounded strange to say. Now, of course, it's also a key company in, in other forms of finance. I mean, it, it makes its money. And I think a lot of users don't realize this by basically outsourcing the execution of stock trades. You know, when you buy a fraction of a share on Robinhood or a fraction of a Bitcoin, it's not Robinhood that actually executes the trade. It's these, uh, you know, the, these other firms that do the order flow. And that's how Robinhood gets a large percent of its revenue. So if the SEC is now saying that it's considering banning payment for order flow, PFOF, and the idea of companies making money with, with a third party outsourcing it, well, that affects everyone. And by the way, as you just said, I actually disagree that it affects the price of Bitcoin, though. I mean, why would that be bad for Bitcoin? That's not the point. The point is it's bad for Robinhood, which has recently made a lot of its money, or at least a much larger percentage than in the past, 
from crypto, specifically BTC, ETH, and Doge. So that was also a legitimate story. I wrote back to that reader and I signed it. Um, Thanks for reading. Sincerely, Ass Clowns. (laughs) (laughs) you know you're you're 100 right actually i think it's good for bitcoin because bitcoin is showing how a p2p network will work i mean and this is not p2p it's p to third party custodian to uh p and that's how uh, Robinhood works and the thing that's the real big debate about the way Robinhood is is operating is that it allows a third party or other people to look at the order books even if it's a fraction of a second before everybody else with their bots or computers or algorithms and they can see who who's buying what before before anybody else is buying and these trades are executed. So they can literally, if they wanted to jump the line and execute trades before everybody else. Yeah. Which by the way, I mean, is, is a, a criticism that a lot of people have with Robin hood. I mean, you know, among other things, the, the occasional outages, uh, the sort of fast swiping, you know, it's funny. I remember, and, and the company's grown so quickly, but back in um, 2014, the founders Baiju and Vlad came to Fortune when I was at Fortune Magazine. And back then it was kind of a more common practice that startup founders would would basically visit magazines almost the way they would visit VCs to tell them about their company and obviously try to get you to write about them. And they were still in beta. And I wrote the first Fortune.com story about Robinhood and, and they were marketing the idea that, you know, buying stocks is now as easy as a swipe on Tinder. And I sort of wrote, well, is that a problem? I mean, maybe that's kind of problematic. I'm not sure buying and trading stocks should be as easy as a swipe on Tinder. You know, college kids in dorm rooms who don't understand how the market works, are they going to lose all of their college spending money because they're buying shares of Nike? And sure enough, fast forward a few years, that's been a real concern that some people have is the ease of use and how quickly people who don't understand what they're doing can lose a lot of money. And, you know, diversifying its revenue is a relevant part of that. The idea that they need to have different revenue streams. And when it comes to crypto, we know that the biggest complaint crypto people have is trying to move your coins off Robinhood. And so naming the first ever uh, Robinhood crypto COO, which they did recently, and, and we interviewed her at Decrypt, Christine Brown, uh, sh- that was a big step in kind of showing that they're going to mature their crypto business. And she has said that that's on the to-do list, that eventually you will be able to move your crypto off the platform. But, you know, look, the company's grown very quickly. It's become an important name in the space. But there are also um, UX issues that need to be fixed. I don't want to waffle on about this whole, you know, uh, our editorial processes and Robin Hood um, uh, that much longer. But I do I want to ask this one question because I think it's a glaring question just about media in general. Uh, you said that you worked at Fortune. Uh, we know that you worked at Yahoo as well. And, um, you know, now you're the editor in chief of Decrypt. And, you know, one thing that we need to do in our articles is put a catchy headline. And a lot of people, and even yep. in, the, in the podcast, uh, they kind of you know sometimes go, "Why is the, is the headline so you know either moony or or, or fuddy?" And, oh. and 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 what do you what do you think about that? Those getting those little clickbait headlines to get people to into the article, and because that is what we have to do is get people to listen, to read, to engage. What do you think about the headline pr- procedures? Yeah, look, I think that that's the reality of being in digital media. I mean, if if a certain piece of news is big enough, for example, Gary Gensler gives a talk and he indicates that he thinks a lot of DeFi tokens are unregistered securities. Well, that's obviously big news and it's potentially very troubling. Everyone is going to write that up, not just Decrypt, The Block, Coindesk, Cointelegraph, Blockworks, but also the larger mainstream finance publications that are not pure crypto pubs, CNBC. Yahoo Finance, The Wall Street Journal, maybe The New York Times. All these different sites are going to rush to write a story about what Gary Gensler just said about regulating crypto and DeFi. Well, 
you have to differentiate your story somehow. And, you know, people tend to only call something clickbait when they don't like the contents of the article, you know? So people who would say clickbait, that's because they're upset about what Gary Gensler said. If the article was about uh, Bitcoin soared 14% in the last 24 hours and now it's above 50K again, no one would call that headline clickbait unless they're no corners who don't like Bitcoin and they think Bitcoin's stupid. Anyone who's in crypto and Bitcoin wouldn't accuse that article of being clickbait because they like it because Bitcoin went up. So yes, it's no secret that of course you need to try to differentiate headlines to grab people's attention. And of course the headline can make or break a story. For example, often we have a terrific deep dive feature that the writer spent a month reporting, got a lot of exclusive comments and interviews. But if there's no juicy soundbite or you know smoking gun previewed, hinted at in the headline, it's not gonna get any traffic, no one's gonna click. And the problem there is then you're um, burying a terrific feature that you know deserves to get eyeballs. So of course we have to run headlines that grab people's attention. You know, if we just said, um, Gary Gensler comments on DeFi regulation. No one's going to click that. Right. You've got to give some kind of indicator. Gensler hints that DeFi tokens might be unregistered securities. Whoa, uh-oh. Even that isn't that good. You know, a better one would be Gary Gensler just indicated a crackdown on DeFi might be coming. And people would probably say, well, that's clickbait. Mm, I think that's actually pretty fair. The whole thrust of what he said is that a crackdown might be coming. But yep. We have to make headlines juicy. That's no secret. So let's make this podcast a little juicier now because you just said Bitcoin was up like 14%. Actually, I don't know if it's up 40%. It's like 2% and 24 but we're well over 50K right now. The industry, oh, I'm just looking at the prices right now on CoinMarketCap. Ethereum is pushing 4K and Solana is mooning, my friend. What, totally. are we looking, what are we looking at this week in prices of crypto? Well, you mentioned Solana last, and, and I'm not necessarily saying any one is more important than the other. I mean, you know, BTC and ETH are still the, the daddy and the granddaddy. You know, the, I've heard people call them the alpha and the omega of crypto, and I don't think that will change. But Solana to me is the most interesting here. Uh, yes, we're back above 50K with Bitcoin. Let's see what happens. That's been a new resistance level. You know, anything could happen in the next six hours as we talk. It's, it's Friday morning. You know, we could see it dip back down. We could see it get to 51. If it gets to 51 something, maybe it's over the hump of 50. But again, I think Solana is the most compelling in terms of price action in the last week, because what will Solana be and to which people? I mean, there are a lot of quote unquote Ethereum killers out there. You know, Cardano is supposed to be an Ethereum competitor. But man, Solana is growing fast. NFTs on Solana, all these different uh, projects that are building on Sol. And of course, what some people would say is it doesn't have to be either or. In fact, I know some Ethereum people who are not anti-Solana. They think Solana is cool and interesting. Fine. But for the most part, it's hard not to view Solana's growth in Ethereum terms. You know, what does it mean for ETH as Solana keeps growing? Can it be a legitimate competitor? Why would a certain project choose to build on Solana versus Ethereum? Well, if it's faster and cheaper, well, is that a problem for Ethereum? Just, just because ETH has been kind of the default for so long for all of these projects and, and applications and dApps doesn't mean that it will always be the only choice. And some people take the argument that rising tide lifts all boats, more options are is good for the space. You know, some people like BST, Binance Smart Chain. Some people say, no, you know, any of these projects are a competitive challenge to Ethereum. You know, what does ETH2 mean for Solana? So, you know, as we speak, Sol, I think has, has leapt Doge 
and it's become either the number eight, maybe even right now the number seven coin by market cap, that is definitely noteworthy. And I think that it's worth monitoring Solana. You know, you just recently interviewed Anatoly uh, of Solana and boy, I'm sure he is getting more interview requests and is busier than he was uh, eight months ago. That is for sure. Well, if, if you look at his net worth now that Solana is $140, um, I'm looking at it right now, $139.04. Um, he could spare some time. He could spare some time <laughs> to come out to the fans yeah. or in the hodlers and, 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 yeah. and say some things. But I just want to point out with that, you know, Ethereum, we're pushing a half a trillion dollar market cap with Ethereum. And Solana is sitting at around $90 billion uh, market cap. And I, I'm sorry, I lied. Solana is sitting yeah. at, at $40 billion market cap. You know, and that's what I think people are looking at. People are looking at the growth potential of Solana, of these other chains. I mean, and another thing that's out there right now that is catching everybody's attention is Cardano. Cardano came from nowhere. It's sitting at the number three spot. It bounced Binance uh, coin down to the number four spot. It's sitting there at $95 billion market cap. And they just had, uh, you know, their smart contracts go on their test net. And they're looking to see their smart contracts be launched on their main net on the 12th of September. Uh, and that's going to change the game for Cardano. But in my opinion, they're a little bit late to the game because why are you just releasing smart contracts now? Maybe they're going to be the, the best and the most proven right. and the safest uh, out there and ever. And this is what we need is everybody to test the market. And then Card- Cardano comes out and kills it. But um, it seems a little laggard to me. Uh, but they are really the talk of the town and their price is, is mooning right now. Another thing when we talk about prices, the reason I never like to just talk about price, I like to talk about, well, what is the thing for? What has it done? What has it achieved? You know, we're talking about how crazy it is that Solana has has skyrocketed to the number seven coin by market cap. And yet, you know, you've still got like Litecoin at, at number 12. And it's like, well, you know, what is Litecoin really used for these days? I mean, yes, it's well known. Or look at Terra is number 14. I mean, Terra, the ticker there is Luna, L-U-N-A. You know, even that has a market cap of 13 billion. And I guess my point is just that I, I think respectfully, there's a there's a pretty steep, dramatic fall off in terms of um, actual realistic use and current use cases and awareness when you look at the top 10 by market cap. I mean, OK, Bitcoin, Ethereum, but pretty quickly you say, well, what is this thing? Do people outside of the most insular crypto circles know what this thing is? And even Cardano, I mean, the fact that it's number three is wild. So far, it seems to me, everything with Cardano is theoretical. You know, it's a test net. It, it, it launched its Alonzo update. Usually when I hear about Cardano, it's all about, here's what, you know, Cardano will eventually be used for. Here's what it could do. And it's working on it. And I think it's probably been smart that Cardano has taken a sort of build it first, go slow approach. But my point being here, I mean, there, there's steep drop off in terms of awareness. Again, I mean, you've got XRP at number six. Polkadot is, is the number nine coined by market cap. So when we talk about price, I like to say, well, OK, fine. But what is the actual utility of this token that its price is going up? I like how you said, like, what is the actual utility? And this is something that I spoke with Anatoly about. So everybody, hey, by the way, Anatoly Yokovenko, the creative Solana, he was on the show. Uh, we were speaking. Please look into the history. It's only a couple of days, give or take. Look at 
that history into this podcast. You can go to Decrypt Media's YouTube channel as well if you want to see the visual of me talking to Anatoly. But listen to that conversation. It's really good because I asked him in that interview about the ebbs and flows of the market, about the 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 waves, about the trends, about the the beanie baby-ish of the market. And I'm, and I'm wondering if like, what is the things that's holding the market up right now when it comes to the protocols? Fine, Bitcoin, we know that its own use case. We call it the digital gold, put that in a separate category. But when it comes to um, Solana, Ethereum, um, and some of these other protocols, what we see in, in my opinion is we see the ebbs and flows of different, uh, uh, I would say, uh, beanie baby crazes and is the nft a beanie baby craze is this something that's sustainable that will always keep this market as high as it is and we, because we already saw DeFi pump the market and then DeFi kind of like it's still there but it's not the the craze right now now it's the nfts before it was the icos back in the last bulls icos and stos and you know and, and, and creating new ways to fund companies that are going to do like you said like about cardano they will do something it's something that's going to happen in the future that's what icos were doing do you see that there's any sustain sustainable um I guess, use case for these protocols that is not going to just be at the, I say, at the liberty of the ebbs and flows of what is popular at the moment. Well, you're right. I mean, in the ICO boom, um, a lot of companies were saying, buy our token because it'll be um, used in what we're building, although we haven't built it yet, but it'll be used in our ecosystem that doesn't exist yet. And at the time, uh, the analogy I used was it's like selling casino chips for use in a casino that hasn't been built yet. And they would say, well, here's how it will be used. Here's how it will be used. And that's why it's a utility. Now, fast forward. And even though we talk about the ICO boom, like it ended and died, uh, it isn't true that they all went away. Some of these tokens, you know, were born in 2017. And it turns out they did have a real use case. But a lot of them still are theoretical. A lot of them are, you know, oh, it's the native token of the X chain or X network. And people say, okay, but what is the X chain or X network? And you say, well, it, it's going to be used for this. Well, is it used for that yet? No, not quite, but they're building, they're building. So there's so much there. I mean, look at ICP, you know, Definity's internet computer. They've launched a couple of things. In fact, I, I tried out one of their apps is, is basically a, a decentralized Reddit, a Reddit built on ICP. But I remember I used it and I forget what it's called. And I remember I used it and I said, it's just like Reddit. You know, it's just the same as Reddit. So the fact that it's under underpinned by ICP, I, I don't understand the point. So there's just a lot of these. And I think with price, a lot of it tends to be about the community and the reputation. Some of these tokens, the, the entire reason they've mooned is because of the passion and the online chatter and contributions and discussion by the people who are bag holders. And of course, many would say, well, that's a problem. But the more positive spin on it is, well, it's really great that it has such a strong, passionate community. So it's all about which lens you, you want to view these things through, right? 100%. And, and so I just want to end this out, out with um, the uh, NFT craze and, and what's going on with NFTs. Look, NFTs, you know, were in CryptoPunks, you know, kind of took a, the front seat for a while there. Then they kind of died off and everybody said, oh, the NFT market's over. And now we have, you know, bored apes, degenerate apes. We have mutant apes. We have, well, I don't know, lots of apes. But we have also the NFT market is just absolutely insane right now. I have friends that have made millions over the past couple months yeah. uh, trading NFTs. Millions. I'm, I, honestly, I'm FOMOing. I'm like, why didn't I start buying NFTs? I was buying NFTs back in 2017, 2018, um, when they started launching in 2019 as well. I was I was loving it. I was like, hey, look, I could trade art and hold, hold this digital art. I thought it was a cool thing. Got out of it. My friends are now making millions. I'm not. So sad. I guess the, there's no question. It's just a statement. I want to hear your opinion about the NFT uh, market right now. I mean, we are seeing mutant apes and, and, and bored apes going for two point something million dollars or four some million dollars for some bored ape. You're right. Sotheby's did a bored ape auction. And then in addition, you know, Christie's had done CryptoPunk auction. 
And I really think that what we're seeing is a few things happening at once. Overall, the NFT market is actually maturing, believe it or not. Now, outsiders who are skeptical, you know, kind of like with the price of Bitcoin, people view something and are just able to confirm the view they already have. So people who think that NFTs are stupid and it's all a bubble, now they rejoice when, when we thought NFTs were dead. Now that NFTs are back, they again just say it's a bubble, it's stupid, it'll collapse. But people who think it's legitimate and see the value to this are able to see that, again, I think it's maturing. Here's how it's maturing. We're seeing less of these celebrity and brand cash grab NFTs, the digital trading cards that are really just static images, you know, the, the kind of fly by night things that are just meant to make a quick buck. Instead, the ones that are fetching big dollars now all actually have real value and something interesting and innovative going on beyond the NFT. So Bored Apes, it's all about the community. When you own a Bored Ape, it's a status symbol. You change your Twitter profile, but it's also your ticket into a club. It's membership in a club that actually comes with a number of perks. I mean, Bored Apes owners get access to a Discord that only other owners are in. There are some NBA players hanging out in there. They get, you know, an automatic mutant ape NFT, and those became instantly valuable. So that's one form, right? That's one category. Then you have CryptoPunks and EtherRocks. And those are some of the ones, especially EtherRocks, that people who think NFTs are stupid think are stupid. But the value there is clear. They're the OGs. They're ancient. Their age explains the price value. Then you have things like nouns and art blocks, where what's cool about it is it's generative. The, the art on art blocks like Fidenza, it's designed by the code. And then it's also built around a DAO. You know, nouns is a really interesting project where they only mint one new NFT per day. And there's a DAO of owners who get a say in the governance. So all these are just a couple of examples, but my point being, I actually think that this second NFT wave is a lot more interesting and legitimate and high value and mature than the initial March and April NFT boom. Speaking of NFTs, I was trying to bid on the uh, Simone Biles NFT um, and uh, yesterday and I lost out on all of them, all of them uh, there. You know, she launched uh, NFTs on what is it? Autograph or audiograph? Autograph. Autograph. Yeah. Autograph, the, the Tom Brady um, platform and partnering with DraftKings. And man, they went out quick. Uh, coming up now is Tiger Woods and Derek Jeter. And I'm going to get some of those Tiger Woods once they re release those and give us a date. Uh, definitely. But um, I just want to say what you said is it's about community. And you know what Gary Vee, I think, said it best. Obviously, he is very much invested and very much working in NFTs right now. He's loving NFTs. But he said a quote the other day on his Instagram. Well, he said a lot of quotes. But he said this one, and, then, and it really struck with me. He said, how do you make a million dollars and turn it into a hundred million dollars? And that's community. You have to leverage people. If you can't leverage people and work with people and build that community, you're never going to get the $100 million. And it looks as though that's what he's doing with the NFT space, especially with his V friends. And, uh, you know, and that's what everybody else is doing is they're taking the, the capital that they had, creating NFTs, creating these non-fungible tokens, these artworks or these collectibles, and they're leveraging the community and they're making those hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe it's fleeting. Maybe it's not. But... I think more people than ever have gotten over the mental hump. I mean, when we talk about NFTs, to me, the biggest obstacle, and especially, you know, you mentioned people, you know, making millions of dollars overnight. Totally. I mean, I know someone who bought one for, you know, $500 and now it's worth $25,000 and he hasn't sold, but he's really close to thinking about it. Do I sell? But will I feel stupid? Which, by the way, same with when a stock goes way up or same with any other investment or collectible that you suddenly find out is worth a lot. Do you sell or do you wait? And the decision you have to make is, what would I regret more? 
not selling and then the value plummets and I missed my window or selling too early. But anyway, with, with, with NFTs in general, the mental block, as I see it, is just trying to understand and wrap your head around that a digital only image could have value, just like a physical piece of art that you can hang on your wall. And what NFT haters say to every tweet, almost, Matthew, almost every NFT story we tweet from Decrypt, someone replies, I just right clicked and saved the JPEG. There, I have it too. No, you don't. You're not the owner of it on chain. The way that the owner of the original can prove that they're the owner. That's the whole point. A lot of people just can't quite get there. And I don't blame them. I understand that. They can't quite get to the point of understanding that a digital pixelated head smoking a cigarette could be worth a million dollars when they can save it and also look at the image. But again, what the NFT believers say is, well, I can change my Twitter profile to a, a rare Damien Hearst. That doesn't mean I own it. And this is the same way. And I just think that now more people than before are finding that they can get there, that they're finally understanding the mental leap it takes to see that digital only art can also be high value art. Again, I don't want to keep this conversation dragging on, but I, you, you, we, we, this, I love these conversations because you brought up two things that I really like to talk about on the show and talk about with people is one, uh, when do you sell? And obviously this is not financial yeah. advice. Um, but, you know, I talk to a lot of very, very wealthy people and they say, buy if you believe in it and sell when you made profit. Don't look back. There's always other opportunities. And that's what I see with uh, the NFT space is like there's always going to be opportunities. If you miss the NFT craze or you miss making money in the NFT space, there's always going to be more more companies coming out. There's always new projects. There's always. And the thing is with a lot of people and myself included, and a lot of people is when the project is worth only one million dollars in market cap and they're just starting and getting seed funds, nobody would give them money. You don't want to give them money. Oh, my God, they're just a small company. They're going to go bust. I'm going to lose all my money. And then they're next, you know, they're a billion dollar company or a billion dollar market cap. And you're just like, oh, well, I could have just, you know, <laughs> you know, a thousand X my, my investment, but you didn't do it. So always look for the other opportunities. Always look for the new projects. Always look to see what's happening in the markets and always know that there will be more opportunities. If their opportunities dried up tomorrow, well, then our economy is done and we are all going back to the Stone Age. So that's not going to happen. There's always more opportunities. I totally agree. There's always new things coming up. And by the way, uh, knowing when to believe in a project when it's really early is the whole task of venture capital, right? I mean, that's yes. what VC firms do yes. is spread their bets. And as long as one or two things hit, they're okay. Now, of course, not all of our listeners have money at that level. Like when I see a crypto punk sell and then flip for a lot, you know, and the person says, oh, I bought it for 20K and sold it for, you know, 300K. Well, great, but you had to have 20K to start with. I mean, in some of these cases, you have to already have money to make more money. But that's why it can pay to believe in a project in the earliest, earliest days. Uh, and that's why you see people who are so passionate about a new coin or a new crypto project that has only been around a few months, but they believe is going to kill it. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it dries up. But of course, look at people who believed early in Solana, you know, to circle back to, to what we talked about with Solana. So, you know, there's always new and interesting and innovative things happening. And the best thing about being in this space is how fast it moves, right? It can be dizzying, breakneck pace, but that's also what's cool about it. Well, to quote uh, Chamath Paliapatila and Davis Stacks from the All In podcast, you got to wet your beak and let your winners ride. <laughs> I like that. Editor-in-chief, uh, Dan Roberts, thanks for coming on the show, doing this week in review, and I'll see you again soon, sir. Great fun. Talk soon. And as always, thank you for listening to the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Don't forget, you can always send me an email, matthewaron at decrypt.co. And 
Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts and like, subscribe, and leave us a comment. It helps us move us up the ranks so people can get this information, people can get the daily news, people see that we're legit, people see that people like us, and as a result, it helps a lot. And I won't be back tomorrow for the weekend update, but I will be back Monday. And until Monday, happy hodling, everyone.